If you have your Bibles, I invite you to be turning and marking the book of Romans in the fifth chapter. That'll be about the first place that we turn to this evening, and it'll take us a few minutes to get there uh, in order to do that. Appreciate the presence of each of you. I'm glad to be able to be with you and to preach this evening, and uh, hope that it'll be something that we can all uh, appreciate and that it will help us. I wonder if you've ever heard someone express the sentiment, if I'm saved, why do I feel so lost? If I'm saved, why is it I feel so lost? I don't know that the author of a book called Knowing I'm Saved ever actually used those exact terms. It's a book that Brent Bunnell and I have been looking at and studying some on Mondays afternoons, and I thought that he used that phrase, but uh, when I went back and looked, I couldn't find it. Brent found one similar, but not the same thing. But it's certainly a sentiment that he expresses in the book, that he thought that he was saved, but that at times he felt so lost. In fact, he talks about when he was about six years old, hearing a lot of what we might call hellfire and damnation preaching, and he was scared. And so one time when the assembly was together, he went forward at the age of six because he didn't want to spend eternity in hell. And he would talk with someone, and they had him answer a few questions, and they prayed together and told him and the audience that he had been saved. And that was good for about 12 years, he said. But when he got to be 18, he began to have doubts about his salvation again. He began to wonder if his faith was real and genuine, if he really understood what he was doing when he was six years old. And so he again prayed a sinner's prayer, as he called it, asked God to save him, and thought, now I've surely experienced salvation. And he even talked about the fact that he had a feeling that, that felt good, and so he thought, this confirmation that I'm now saved. But then when he got to his early 20s, he heard another particular sermon that was talking about the fate of those that were lost, and he again began to question whether or not he was really saved. And during that time that he was asking himself if he was saved or not saved, he said, I was confused, I was uh, in dreadfulness, and in fear. And he said, I was absolutely miserable inside. I wonder if you know anybody that has ever expressed that sentiment and perhaps showed their fear of being lost, even though they think they may be saved, I think I know some people that I've dealt with in times uh, through the years that maybe would fit that. They would think they had been saved, and now they would think, but I feel so lost. And so I want us to talk a little bit about that subject. I want us to talk about why, if I'm saved, I feel so lost. But I want to do two things, first of all. I want to tell you, I don't think that's the way we ought to feel when we're saved. 
If you have your Bibles marked at the book of Romans in the fifth chapter, listen to what Paul says about salvation. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, and that's basically saying, having been saved, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so he says there should be this sense, or with this sense of salvation, should come this sense of peace, he says. A peace with God, where we're not fearful now as we had been in times past, at least not fearing heaven or hell. And then if you look over to the book of 1 John and the fifth chapter, John makes a statement that I think we need to consider as Christians and people that think we're saved. In the book of 1 John, in the 5th chapter, in verse 13, John says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And so John suggests that we should be confident about our salvation. I see people, and you talk to them sometimes, and you ask them, am I saved or not? And you're not asking them to guarantee. You just ask them, how do you feel? And they say, well, I'm not sure. Well, John seems to indicate we should be sure of our salvation. And we should be making our election sure and known that we're saved. And if that's not the feeling, maybe we have a problem. I want to begin by just uh, suggesting to you Two guiding principles for us to consider for a moment. Then we'll get into actually dealing with the question. The first thing that I want you to think about is that feelings can be deceptive. I think all of us know this, and if you know the Bible, you know that that's the truth. You can think back, if you would, to the time of Genesis, and you'll remember that Jacob thought that his son Joseph was dead. The brothers had brought him a coat that had been ripped apart and dipped in blood, and, and he surmised it was Joseph's coat, and he thought Joseph is dead. He was so convinced that Joseph was dead that he put on sackcloth and tore his clothes. He mourned for his son for many days and said he would go to the grave mourning his son Joseph. This is Genesis 37 and verse 34 through 36. And it says he wept. He really thought that Joseph was dead. But his thinking that didn't make it so. It, it caused him to react a certain way. But his thinking that Joseph was dead did not make Joseph dead. Think about the book of Proverbs in the 14th chapter in verse 12. You remember the writer of Proverbs there says... There is a way that seems right to man, but the end is the way of death. What is he saying? He's telling us we can sometimes think that something is right, and yet it'd be totally wrong, and it can cause us to lose our soul, he says sometimes. And then most of us remember Paul and how that he was a persecutor of Christians before he became a Christian, and yet Twice in the scriptures, he tells us even when he was persecuting Christians, he did it in all good conscience. Acts the 23rd chapter and verse 1, Paul said, I lived in all good conscience unto this day. Even while he was persecuting Christians, I lived in all good conscience. 
And then in chapter 24 of Acts, in verse 16, he again says, always strive, or I've always strived to have a consciousness uh, who, without offense toward God and men. And so again, I have lived in trying to, to have a good conscience. And so even though he was wrong in persecuting Christians, he still thought that he was right. Think about the passage that, that Reagan mentioned this morning in the book of Matthew in the seventh chapter. In verse 21, you remember he, he talks about, <coughs> excuse me, he talks about some, he said that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he says in verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your names and done many wonderful works in your name? And then he says, and I will declare to them that I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What can you get out of that? But here are some people that, that assumed that they were saved or thought that they were saved, but their thinking didn't make it right. When they stood before the Lord, he says, I don't know you. Depart from me. And so what we need to understand is, first of all, just because we feel something or think something, that doesn't necessarily make it so. And just because one thinks that he's saved, that doesn't necessarily make it so. The second thing that I want you to think about is that people can be saved, but can then be lost. Now, I know that that's contrary to what some people in religion think today, and they'll tell you once saved, always saved, or, or they'll say that they think that the Scriptures teach the impossibility of apostasy, but that's not true. That's not a Bible doctrine. Look over, if you would, for a moment to the book of John in the third chapter. This is a passage that uh, some of them have turned to to try and show that once saved, always saved. Look at John, the third chapter, and look at verse 18, if you would. John 3 and verse 18. There Jesus is the speaker, and he says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. And they'll pick up this part and say, He who believes in him, if you believe in God, then, or in Christ, then you're not condemned. But if you don't believe, then you're condemned. And they say, See, you've got eternal life. How could you be lost? Well, the question is not what if you're believing, are you saved? But the question is, what if you stop believing? Are you still saved? If you don't have the faith that is the kind of faith that he's talking about here, are you still saved? Could you not then be lost? Look, if you would, closely at that passage in John 3 and verse 18 for a minute. And notice he says, he who believes in him is not condemned. Now, they want to make that just absolute. You believe in him, you're not condemned. But look at the second part. But he who does not believe is condemned already. My question is, can that person that does not believe, can he become a believer? The answer is sure. That's what the gospel is all about. It's about convincing people that don't believe to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so if this unbeliever can become a believer, doesn't it stand to reason that this believer could also become an unbeliever, that you're not locked in where you can't change anymore. 
and that if you do change, then your eternal destiny can change also? In fact, you find examples in the scriptures of people that who did believe but became disbelievers. They, they departed from the faith. In the book of 1 Timothy, in the 5th chapter, in verse 11 and 12, 1 Timothy 5, in verse 11 and 12, Paul writes and tells Timothy, Refuse the younger winners, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, now listen, having condemnation, because they cast off their first faith. Here's somebody that had faith, and they cast it off, and the Scripture said because of that, they're in condemnation. As long as they believed, they were okay. But when they cast off their faith, then they're no longer saved. Look, if you would, also to the book of Second Peter and the second chapter. You see a second example in the Scriptures of people that, that had one time been saved but lost that salvation. Looking at Second Tim, or Second Peter, the second chapter, and beginning in verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in other words, here's somebody that has heard about Christ and obeyed Christ and done what Christ said and has now gotten salvation. They, they have put on Christ. He said, and they are again entangled therein or again uh, entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. So here's somebody that is a Christian that has faith, but at some point in time they lose that faith, and now he says they're worse off than they were to begin with. And so we can lose that salvation. I've known people that have had faith at one time or another and yet lost that faith. I knew a man when I was in Arkansas that had faith and served well, and then he uh, had a wreck, and his wife was injured very badly, and, and he became angry at God and just gave up the faith for a long time. And others have given up the faith at times. And so we need to start our study about if I'm saved, why do I feel so lost remembering these two principles? One, feelings doesn't make it always right. You can feel something and yet still be wrong. And secondly, even though you might be saved at some point in time, you can also lose that salvation if you lose your faith. So remember those two things as we go through. Now, let's consider this, this question. How come or how can I feel like I'm saved or because I think I'm saved, how can I feel so lost? And what I want to do is suggest to you three answers perhaps to this question as to why you might think you're saved and yet be lost or feel lost. First of all, it could be because you're basing your hope not on the true scriptures of God, but you have determine your plan of salvation for yourself, or you've listened to somebody that has told you what to do, and you did that, but you never really looked at the Scriptures themselves to know that you're following the Scriptures and doing what the Scriptures tell you to do. There are people that don't know really what the Bible tells them to do about salvation. I've talked with people in times past, and, and we'll get down to maybe Acts 2 and verse 38 that says, 
Peter tells them to repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the mission of sin. And I've had them say, I didn't know that passage was in there. And yet they're claiming to be saved, and yet they don't know that the Bible says, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And numerous people will tell you, I'm saved, and yet they're not baptized. Where did they get that? They didn't get it from the Scriptures. They got it either because that's the way they thought, they just thought of it themselves, or somebody has told them that, and they've never checked the Scriptures to see what God said to do in order to be saved. We know that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Romans, the first chapter and verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. But we also need to understand that it's only by that gospel and looking at that gospel that we can know that we're saved. I want you to look, if you would, at a statement that Paul makes in the book of Romans in the 8th chapter in verse 16. Romans 8 and verse 16. Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Now, I want to suggest to you, if you don't have this kind of, of witness, then you're very likely to, to some point in time, begin to doubt your salvation. And you may rightly do so. You may have been told something to do and you did it, but it's not what the Scriptures teach. Or somebody else may have told you something to do and, and you thought, well, this person knows and so you do that. But he's not telling you what the Scriptures teach you to do. And what Paul is telling us on this occasion is that what we need to do is let the Spirit, remember the Spirit inspired the Scriptures and their prophet for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions and in righteousness, furnish us with everything that we need to know. And so he tells us that the, the Spirit will bear witness with our spirit. He's not saying the Holy Spirit is going to just suddenly give us some kind of uh, feeling that just is a better felt than told type, type feeling, and, and that's our proof. Even these people that we were talking about, or I'm talking about, make mention of having this feeling that they thought they were saved. And yet they come to realize they're not. And so that feeling is not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is that the Spirit gives us the Scriptures, and my Spirit tells me whether or not I've obeyed the Scriptures. We mentioned a moment ago, uh, what does the Scriptures teach us to do to be saved? Well, you look at Jesus' word. He said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You look at the example in, in Acts 2. Jesus, Peter preaches that Jesus is Lord in Christ. They hear that. They say, what shall we do? Peter says, you need to repent of your sins, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. If I look at what Jesus said, I look at the example of what Peter preached, and I say, okay, here's what Jesus said. He that believeth and is baptized should be saved. Here's what Peter said. You need to believe, or when they believed, you need to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins and I say, okay, I've done that. I do that. I do that at that time when I'm convinced of that. Then I don't have to doubt my, my salvation. But if I've taken somebody's word and then somebody comes along and begins to preach something different, then I might be made to think, well, how do I know for certain that I'm saved? I don't have that assurance of going back to the Scriptures and, and looking and seeing 
Here's what the scriptures say. Here's what I did. Therefore, I know that I have the promise of God. I'm left out there to, to think and to wonder for myself. Am I sure that this is going to take the place or that? Or, or am I sure that, that I did everything that I should be? Now, I want to make sure that you understand. I'm not saying that we can't have somebody teach us the scriptures. But we have a responsibility, as Paul showed in the book of Acts in the 17th chapter, in verse 11, that when we're listening to somebody, we ought to search the Scriptures and make sure that what they're telling us is the truth. Remember that example I gave you just in the start, where I've talked to people about Acts 2.38, and tell them, it says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And they said, well, I didn't know that was in there. Well, we need to be searching. If somebody tells you, Something, look and see if that's so. And if it is, accept it, not because they said it, but because it's Scripture. And then you have the assurance that your salvation is real, that it's not something you've just imagined. You have the promise of God, and he's not going to, to welch on his promises. If we've done what he's told us to do, then we can be saved. So one reason that people might think they're saved and still feel lost is because they're not really saved. They've never really looked at the Scriptures, learned what the Scriptures said to do, and did what the Scriptures tell them to do in order to be saved. Let me suggest to a second thing, though. Sometimes people say they're saved but feel lost because they don't understand salvation by grace through faith. They're still trying to be saved through their works. Uh, look, if you would, to the book of Galatians in the third chapter. And Paul tells us about systems of work. He's talking particularly about the law of Moses on this occasion. But look at the, the book of Galatians in the third chapter in verse 10. Galatians 3 and verse 10. Paul says, for as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now he's talking about the law of Moses in particular, but he says the system of law, if you wanted to be justified by law, you had to keep every ordinance of that law. And he says you're under a curse, if you don't continue in all things that are written therein. Well, what happens is that some people try and save themselves by works. But what happens when they do that? Go back over again to the book of Romans in the seventh chapter, if you would, and look particularly at verse 19. Romans 7 and verse 19. And Paul's talking about, I think, when he was under that law, and showing why we need Christ. But he's, he says on that, that occasion, he says uh, in verse 17 or 19, he says, For the good that I would will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not do, that I practice. So he says, I know what's right, but sometimes I fail to do it. And then he looks at the other side, he says, I know what's wrong, but sometimes, even though I know it's wrong, I do it anyway. And what was the condition? Well, he gets down at the end of that chapter, and he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Because 
he realizes that he hasn't kept that law perfect, and if he's going to be saved by perfect law-keeping, he's just lost his hope. And so if you change even the law of Christ from a law of faith and grace into, okay, I've got to check every box, and if I miss a box, then I'm lost, you're going to be miserable too. You're not going to feel saved. In fact, this book that I mentioned, the author mentioned how he felt just like Paul in Romans the 7th chapter and verse 19, and that he felt like a wretched man. And this was his statement. He says, and, and, he, and he thought, okay, in some of these times that he was doubting his salvation, he was told, well, you just need to, to surrender yourself to God more and do more. And so he tried that, but he said, the more conscientious I became about living a godly life, the more I discovered how ungodly I really was. My pursuit of holiness made me increasingly aware of every little sin in my life. When he started trying to really just focus on the law and keep the law perfectly, he saw all his inconsistencies. And he realized that if I've got to keep the law perfect in order to be saved, I don't have salvation. And that's a big part of one of the times he talks about. He just had tried to make a, a law of works, and he realized he couldn't live perfectly. And so he felt condemned. We need to, to grasp and understand uh, what we're talking about, about salvation by faith, by grace. In fact, Go back for just a moment to the book of Galatians in the third chapter. We read verse 10 where he said, Cursed is everyone that doesn't do all things. But then listen to, in contrast to that to verse 11. He says, But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. He's quoting an Old Testament prophecy and just saying, Even the Old Testament realized we didn't make it by works. We made it by faith, he says, that that was the promise, that we'd be justified by faith. He said, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Let me just point out to you, and we've mentioned this before, he talks about cursed are those that don't continue in all things, that's one curse. But when he talks about Christ, he says, it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. That's not saying that he broke the law of Christ or the law. He's just saying it's thought that if you hang on the tree, you must have done something bad and must have been cursed. And so he bore that, court, that curse. And by bearing the cross, of course, he paid a price and, and gave us, made a sacrifice for our sins is the idea. I want you to, that you might really see the idea of salvation by grace. I want you to turn, if you would, to the book of Romans in the third chapter. And we've done this before, but uh, I think it's worthy of our looking at again and making sure that we understand the idea of salvation by faith or by grace through faith. I want you to look at Romans 3 and verse 23. And and let me give you the background for a moment. Paul has declared that we're saved by the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation. And then he seeks to show in the remainder of chapter 1, the Gentiles didn't keep that law. They didn't keep any moral law perfectly, and so they're lost. And then in chapter 2, he shows that the, Gen or the Jews also failed to keep the law perfectly, and so they're condemned. 
And so you get down to chapter 3 and verse 23, and here's his conclusion. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's if we were going to be saved by the works, all of us are lost. None of us have kept all of what God has said perfectly. So he says, being justified freely by his grace. Now we mentioned just a moment ago in one of our passages that justification really carries with it the idea of being pronounced right. But it's basically saying salvation. If you're justified, you're saved. It's sin that condemns you, and so if you're justified or pronounced right, then you're saved. And so now he says, we've all sinned, but I'm going to justify you freely by grace. So justification, salvation by grace. But that doesn't stop there. He says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And my question is, what is redemption? Well, look back to the book of Ephesians in the first chapter, and Paul talks about in him, talking about Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So here's what we have. We have salvation or justification by grace through redemption, through forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, uh, in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. So we have salvation, but it's not just automatically given to us. It's salvation through redemption because of our belief in Jesus Christ. When you hear salvation by grace, salvation by faith, or salvation through the forgiveness of sins, it's always the same thing. It's a salvation that has come Because of God's grace, he paid a price for us and gave the sacrifice for us in Jesus Christ. And what he does with that sacrifice, it gives him the the abilities to forgive us of our sins and still be just in doing that. And he does that to those who believe in Jesus as that propitiation and does what he tells them to do so that they are forgiven of their sins. If you look down to Romans again, he tries to emphasize this, that we're not saved by our works, but by our faith, uh, again, through redemption, through forgiveness, by first of all using Abraham. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. What then shall we say, that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For Abraham was justified, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. And so he says, here's how Abraham got to be righteous. Wasn't by his works that he kept everything that God said do perfectly. He says it was by his faith, and his faith was accounted to him for righteousness. And just notice, incidentally, that he says his faith was counted for righteousness. He didn't say the perfect life of Jesus was accounted to me for righteousness. He says, my faith was accounted to righteousness, and the reason being because he could forgive me because of Christ's sacrifice. And and to show this further, look at verse 5, or verse 6, rather. Just like he used Abraham as an example, saying he was saved by faith, not by works, he then says, just as David also described the blessedness of the man 
to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. So here's somebody that's going to be counted righteous, and it's not because of their works, he says. And then he quotes David, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Now remember, he's holding it up as an example just like Abraham. Abraham was justified by faith. David is being justified by faith. And then he says, how? Because God uh, said his lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. God forgives him of those sins, so he doesn't hold that against that man anymore. And so he shows here that one is saved by grace because of the sacrifice of God or of the sacrifice of Christ. And he does that because he forgives us of our sins and so because of our faith. And therefore, we're counted as righteousness on that account. And so our salvation by faith or by grace through faith is because and entails forgiveness of sins. We couldn't keep that law perfectly. And so he forgives us of our shortcomings and counts us as righteous because of our faith. And that's all his grace. He didn't have to do that. But I want also to point out to you that this idea of salvation by uh, grace through faith doesn't mean that there's nothing for us to do. That doesn't mean we can just sit down and, and just spend our life in sin now. We still have stuff to do and things to do. We used Matthew 7, verse 21 earlier. Remember that passage? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that, listen, doeth the will of my Father. Even though we're justified by faith through grace, we still have something to do. We still have to be trying to do the law or the will of God. We'll not do it perfectly, but we need to be trying to do the will of God. Uh, think about again Acts 2 and verse 37. Peter has preached that, they, uh, that Jesus is Lord in Christ. He has convinced them that Jesus is Lord in Christ. And when he gets there, they said, what shall we do? You know what Peter said? Eh, nothing you can do. It's all by grace. That's not what Peter said. He knew they were being saved by grace, but he says, here's what you need to do. You need to repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, so they're showing their faith in Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. So there was something for them to do. Look over, if you would, to the book of James in the second chapter. And James shows you, and he's writing to Christians, but the nature of faith is not going to change whether you're talking about Christians or non-Christians. Look at chapter 2 and verse 17. He says, Thus also faith by itself if it does not have works, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. He's saying, if you've got faith, you're going to have works. They go together. Drop on down, if you would, a little bit more to verse 23. And then he says, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. When did that happen? When he offered Isaac up as a sacrifice, he says, or, or was willing to. You see then that a man is justified by works and not faith only, he says. So salvation by faith or by grace through faith is through re remission of sins, but it still has to have works. 
We still have to be of the mind that we're going to do the things God tells us to do. You think about Ephesians 2 and 8 where he talks about by grace you're saved through faith. Verse 10 says we're created unto his, for his workmanship and his good works. That's why he saved us so we can do good works for him. Think about Ephesians 4 and verse 1. He shows that we have salvation in Christ. He said now you need to walk worthy of the vocation wherein you're called. And basically what he tells you in the chapter 4, 5, and 6 is you've got to put away sin and put on righteousness. You've got to be trying to do righteousness. Look over to the book of Romans in the 6th chapter. And you hear him say, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. So we're not to continue in sin. That's not the idea of being saved by grace. How shall we who died to sin live any longer therein? Or do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we also should walk in newness of life? And interesting that Paul recognizes, though he hasn't spoke about baptism prior to this, he's talked about them being justified by faith, but he knows that those people that have been justified by faith have been baptized, and he knows that they were baptized in order to, to crucify the old man and to live a new life. Drop down to verse 17. But God, bethink that you were servants of sin. You have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That's the Christian. We're now slaves of righteousness. We don't have to, and not going to be able to, do righteousness every time and all the time, but we are a slave to righteousness. We keep trying to do righteousness is the idea. And so if we get this idea in our head that we've got to live a perfect life, can't sin even once, if we do, we're lost, then sure you're going to feel miserable and wretched. But Christ came to deliver us from that wretchedness, Paul said in Romans 8, and he does so if we are walking according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. We have to be walking in a certain way. We'll mess up sometimes, but our general walk is we're walking in the light, and we're walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And so if one doesn't understand the true nature of salvation by grace, he may wonder how it is he could have done those things to be saved and yet feel so lost, but it's because of his misconception. And then there's a third thing I would suggest to you. Some feel lost because they are lost. They just simply have, have left what God told them to do, and, and they now have departed from the faith that, that we mentioned before. We mentioned Romans 1 and, or 8 and verse 1 that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. What does that tell you about those who just give up walking according to the Spirit and, and just settle into walking according to the flesh? He didn't say there was no condemnation to those people. He says that if you're going to have this comfort of salvation through grace or through faith or grace through faith, he says you've got to be walking according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. Look also, if you would, to the book of 1 John in the third chapter in verse 20. 
On this occasion, John writes in, in verse 20, he says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Basically, he's just saying, if I don't think I'm doing right, then God knows I'm not. Now, go back up a little bit, if you would, to, to about verse 10 and see the context of this. He says, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So he says we've got to be practicing righteousness, and we've got to be loving our brothers. And so he comes on down, and, and then the verse that we read, he says, if our heart condemns us, if I know I'm not practicing righteousness, and I know that I'm not loving my brother, and my heart tells me I'm not doing that, then how much more so does God condemn me? God knows it for sure. If I think I might not be loving my brother, God knows that I'm not, if, if I've got reason not to, to think that. He says he knows. I'm not going to fool him is the idea. And while he's talking specifically about just the idea of righteousness and loving brother, doesn't that stand to reason on, on just everything? That if I know that I'm not trying to walk in righteousness or according to the Spirit, don't you know that God knows I'm not trying to walk according to the Spirit? And that that's something I need to do in order to be righteous in God's sight and, and, and have salvation? And may I suggest to you that we need to be diligent for salvation? Let me read to you a couple of passages that shows you the importance of diligence. Romans, the 12th chapter, and you remember again, if you're familiar with Romans, that you have, much like Ephesians, the first part of Romans, you have him talking about a lot about salvation and, and the ins and out of our salvation, and then you get over to chapter 12, and it's very practical in instructions to us. And listen to chapter 12 and verse 11 to Christians. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. He says this is the kind of attitude we have to have as Christians. We have to be uh, fervent. We have to be diligent. Most of us remember 2 Timothy 2 in verse 15. Uh, give diligence to show yourself approved unto God. Hebrews 4 in verse 11, he talks about we need to give diligence to enter the promised land that we have. He talks about how uh, they rebelled in going into the promised land in the Old Testament. But we need to be diligent to try and enter the promised land. Look, if you would, to the book of Second Peter in the first chapter. Two passages there. Second Peter, the first chapter, in verse 5, he says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, temperance uh, self-control, self-control patience, patience godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness love. But notice he says you give diligence to do that. And then look if you would at verse 10 of that same passage. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. We ought to be being diligent, a constant hard effort to try and make ourselves uh, approved in these things. And then contrast this, if you would, to the book of Revelation in the third chapter in verse 15, where God 
sends the message to the church, Laodicea, saying, I'll spew you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. That's somebody that lacks diligence. And one reason you ask people sometimes, are you going to be saved? And they say, I don't know. I think a lot of times it's diligent. They know that one day they're on fire for the Lord, but they know that after that they may burn out and go a long time without any diligence. But the Scriptures are teaching us we've got a way to walk, that we're supposed to be walking uh, according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, and that we're to be dead to sin and alive unto righteousness, a, a slave unto righteousness, he says, giving diligence to add to our faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, etc. And so if we're not doing that, and our hearts tell us we're not really diligent, then what does God know about us? Maybe we're condemning ourselves with this thought of, I'm not sure I'm saved on this. So here's the conclusion. Want to feel good about your salvation? Not just feel good, but be able to, to go and look at the Scriptures and, and say, well, here's what God tells me to do. Well, go back and listen to what Jesus said. He that believeth, talking about believing that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You do that and you, you say, well, here's what he said do. Now, remember, again, baptism's not the end. It's the beginning of a new life, and you've got to live that life. And so, not just saying, that's it. Just be baptized, and now you're saved. It's a new life that you're introduced to, and now you're, you're going to rise up to walk in that newness of life. Look at the example in, in Acts 2. Here's the preaching of Jesus as Lord in Christ. And when they cried out, what shall we do? Peter says, well, you need to repent. You need to stop sinning. And then you need to be baptized for the remission of sins in the name of Jesus. Not going to be baptized for the remission of sins if you don't think you're a sinner. Not going to be baptized in the name of Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins unless you think he can forgive you of your sins. But that's what he told them to do. And so if you want to be saved, do that. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's evidences to show us that he is. Believe it. And then repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rising up to walk in newness of life. Then let me suggest to you, look over, if you would, to the book of Philippians in the third chapter. <clears throat> I want you to look at Philippians 3 and verse 12. Because I think Paul speaks to us and tells us, if you want comfort and you want to have a good consciousness about your salvation, here's what you need to do. He said, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold on that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. So he says, you never get to the point where you can just say, okay, I've got it made and stop. He said, you keep pressing. He said, brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the, the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Jesus Christ. So he says, always pressing forward, reaching forward. Then he says, therefore, as many of us as are mature have this mind, and if anything Otherwise, God will reveal it to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us have the same mind. So 
So he says, walk according to where you've attained. You find something is taught in the scriptures today, then you, you start doing it. If you haven't been doing it, you start today. You walk where you've attained. You've learned that you need to repent, be baptized, haven't done it. That's where you start today. If you learn that you need to be a slave to righteousness, not a slave to sin, then you start that today. Whatever you learn today, that's what you start. You add that to your life and you walk by that. And he says, if that's our attitude, if that's truly our attitude, where we're walking to the, where we're pressing always, giving diligence to press toward the mark, and always are walking where we've already attained, and if we're lacking somewhere else, we ask God, God, show me, because I want to be right, and I want you to forgive me. And if we know we've done something wrong, we ask for forgiveness. And God's mercy is there. It's there for the Christian as well as the non-Christian. And that's how we're saved, not because we live a perfect life, but because in Christ we can have this forgiveness as we go to God and ask for forgiveness. And he counts our faith as our righteousness. If you're here today, don't go through life wondering whether or not you're saved. Don't let that doubt be in your mind and keep you from enjoying life and enjoying Christ. Make sure you obey the Scriptures, look at the Scriptures, follow the Scriptures. If you've fallen short, then get forgiveness. If you want that comfort today and you don't have it and we can assist you, we'd invite you to come as together we stand and sing.